Welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and with me today is the editor of the podcast, Jeff Schutze. Hey, how's it going? Doing really well, and also our guest, Andy Nakasone. Hello. So we always like to start off with events going on around town and such, and right now we're recording this during the tail end of the holiday season, so not a whole lot of events. Although I can say, if you are interested in exhibiting at CTNX, they will be having their exhibitor information on the website soon, so make sure to look out for that. And also make sure to look out for Fan Alley Expo, which will be happening in June. And Comic-Con, Jeff, you recently registered for Comic-Con. Is registration still open for that, or is that done? I think the registration is done to exhibit. And this weekend was the registration for the hotel. So if you haven't gotten your hotel and you're an exhibitor, get on it because I think it's closing soon. Yeah, and for all of you out there who've ever been to Comic-Con, it's Comic-Con. You know what this is like. So go ahead and get your hotel, get your seven friends together who also want to go down there with you, save some money. It'll all be a very good time. And also we always like to talk about any movies or television shows we've been watching recently. So Andy, anything that you've seen? Well, I saw the early premiere to Jumanji just a couple days ago. It was uh, one of the first movies I worked on, and it was pretty funny. Definitely different from the original, but I like the direction they went with it. it was, did they it integrate fun. that whole video game aspect, kind of they a did. retro thing? Yeah, so well, the story is people don't play board games anymore, so the game turns itself into a video game, which is something that people will play. And they all get sucked into the game, and it's basically the opposite of the first Jumanji. That's good to know, because I was very curious about that because I love the original with Robin Williams. I thought mm-hmm. it was really funny and while I love The Rock, I think he's great. His movies are his movies and he's great in them, but you know, yeah. I <laughs> don't yeah. really know what else to say about you that. You kind of know what you're getting. You kind of know what you're getting, you. which to his credit, I respect that a lot because yeah. it's not like you're going in having no idea and being disappointed. You know exactly what right. type of movie well, you're getting into. Well, that was part of the fun of Jumanji was they were all playing against type. Mm-hmm. So The Rock, even though The Rock is in the movie, he's playing a, this kind of geeky teenager and Jack Black is playing this teenage girl. <laughs> Because <laughs> they all get, because they all swap bodies and they all play the avatars that they picked in the game. And it was a pretty funny premise, and it did a good job with it. Yeah. What did you see, Jeff? Let's see. Okay, I watched a bunch of BoJack Horseman. Nice. Yes. And I wasn't sure just how much I was going to like it when I watched the first couple episodes. But the more I watch it, the more I am invested in it. And now I'm trying to get at least one in every night before I go to bed. <laughs> did you just start the show? Are you on season, uh, I started it months ago and okay. then just recently started it up again. Gotcha. And I started watching another cartoon that I've been wanting to watch for a long time, Star vs. the Forces of Evil. Oh, you hadn't seen that yet? I hadn't seen it yet. Nice. And everyone was telling me, you have to watch it, it's so good. Especially since I'm waiting for a new Steven Universe, so I'm really liking it. I think the humor is really good, it's so well written, and the animation is fantastic. I'm just, I'm really digging it. It's a good show, I, I really like it. We're on season three now, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. very good. And I just saw Thor Ragnarok. 
the Rock. I finally saw Ooh, it because they they screened it at our studio, <laughs> and on a scale of one to War of the Planet of the Apes, mm. I give it a six. I oh, thought it was okay. very funny because I know it's the director of What We Do in the Shadows, which is a fantastic movie. I love Great. that movie so much. So it was really funny. My main critique of the movie, which is my critique of most of the Marvel movies now, which I feel like they can't really get away from, is that they have so many characters in the MCU and you have to tie so many things in so that all the movies make sense for the next movies coming down the pipe that it's just a lot of movie mm -hmm. and while I enjoyed the movie I felt the length of it as I was wow. sitting there going I can tell this is a two and a half hour movie and yes I am entertained by this but it's still going and I am <laughs> still sitting here and it's very funny but there's a lot of exposition of and now we have to go and do this mm -hmm. and now we have to go and do this and now we have to go and do this thing and it's good that it's there because they need that but if there was a way to make that a little bit shorter or to make it a little bit tighter, I'd like it a little bit more. I have to say that Tessa Thompson is my new favorite person in the world. Yeah. Spoiler alert, the fact that they have a Valkyrie is great. <laughs> yes. Because I love Norse mythology and I was just like, there's a Valkyrie and there's a scene with her on a winged horse fighting Hela and I'm like, I want to see that movie. That's the yeah. movie I want to see. I want to see a spin-off movie about all the Valkyries and how they oh. all died. I would love to see that. I know Marvel's never going to do it, but that would be great. <laughs> if you guys ever want to make a comic book about it, please do. She was awesome. And Hella was okay. I wish that she was a cooler villain. Mm -hmm. Although I really dig the fact that she had that cool evil reindeer helmet that yeah. she just slicked back her hair and it just antlers coming out of her. Right. And they would kind of move a little yeah. bit. You know, yeah, yeah. But, there. you know, she's the goddess of death. And I was expecting way more death and mm. evil and anger. Well, she wipes out yeah. all of Asgard, basically. Yeah, yeah. but it... Uh, all the soldiers in here. Yeah. yeah, I was... When I think evil villains, I think Sauron, mm. and I think Maleficent, not the Angelina Jolie version, but the Sleeping Beauty, all well, the powers of hell dragon version. Well, I think that's one was so, funny about her character was that's how she saw herself, mm -hmm. but others didn't, and that yeah. like upset her in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> she was trying to explain who she is. Mm -hmm. Nobody's listening. Nobody mm -hmm. cares. And she's always trying to fight for that status. And yeah. Kate it's Bell, like her character was pretty funny. Just... Literally been blasted over. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You're just like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> you know what that reminded me of was the main villain in Kung Fu Panda 3. Have y'all seen Kung Fu Panda uh, 3? Yeah. You know how the ox is like, do you remember me? And everyone's like, ah. Oh. Who are you? Right. What are you? Nobody remembers him either. And it's like, oh, that sucks for you too. Yeah. But it was all right. It was yeah. pretty funny. It was good. And That's what I liked about it was that it was funny. And I felt like it didn't take itself seriously, which mm -hmm. a lot of these superhero movies, they just take themselves so seriously. Thor was just, he was a funny guy. And I think the, I can't remember his name now, but the New Zealand director mm -hmm. brought a different sensibility to it. So I really appreciated that. I thought it was cool that Marvel gave this guy a chance to make something with his humor, his sensibility. That's cool. It's funny because they were joking on, um, what was it? Wait, wait, don't tell me. The woman who directed Lady Bird, they were saying, oh, now that you're a successful independent director, now they'll give you this big budget comic book movie. And Luke Burbank goes, Lady Bird Ragnarok. And I'm like, oh, jeez. That, that was also a good movie. That, was a, that is a movie I saw. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, very cool. Yeah. I haven't seen any idea either. It's a, basically a profile of Sacramento. Ah, which nice. is pretty, it's a city I've never been to, but... Mm. 
It was very much in the same style as Little Miss Sunshine and oh, cool. a lot of very independent kind of quirky films. This is coming of age stories. It was very funny. Very big heart. Very yeah, I heard that it is now the highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes. It overtook Toy Story 2 for the highest Rotten Tomato rating. Wow. That's yeah, for Lady Bird. That's amazing. Yeah. So 100%, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Ladybird, yeah. Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> Star vs. the Forces of Evil, Jumanji, all good things. Bojack Horseman, you can go see all of them. <laughs> Star Wars next week. Star Wars, oh yeah. Oh, so, wow. I probably won't see it. I haven't seen the other two. So, yay Star Wars, I guess. I don't know. I've never been a huge Star Wars fan, so I'm glad they all exist, but I'd we'll, have we'll to We'll fill see. you in, but this would be like a six-hour podcast. Well, yeah, because I haven't seen the other two, yeah, okay. so I have to see the other two and then see this one. I kind of feel the way my supervisor, Ken, the way he feels about the Marvel Universe. He's seen three of the Marvel movies, mm. so at this point, it's so behind. The reason he didn't want to watch Thor with us after work was there's like ten other movies I need to see in order to understand what's happening. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true, actually. Well, Thor is pretty much a self-contained story. Yeah. It connects towards the end and at the beginning, but it's still a fun movie, regardless of if you've seen previous yeah. Marvel films. Well, I can't say that yeah. for the next ones. The next ones are going to be the... The big Infinity, oh, yeah, Infinity War. War. No. Yeah, no. So you should probably catch up before you, yeah. you go see those. Yeah. It's like get your, your primer ready. It's like they need a Cliff's Notes version of all of the stuff. <laughs> or a comic book. Or a comic book. But now there's like, okay, if you can read 40 years worth of comics. Oh, jeez. Anyway, that's its own show. But we're here, though, with Andy. And Andy, I'm really excited Let's to go. talk with you because we've been friends for a long time now. And I've really wanted to have you on the show. And I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you are a layout trainee for Walt Disney Future. Yes. I've been a part of that program for about a year now. Yeah. And uh, recently just got moved up to uh, layout assistant. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah, that's so very cool. That's That'll be my title for the rest of our production. Excellent. So, yeah. All right. So we always like to start at the beginning of your hero's journey, as it were. <laughs> I'm no hero. Yeah. You're like, I'm no I'm hero. I'm just, I'm just just a mere <laughs> No, it's great. So, tell us about what it was like for you growing up, where you're from, all that stuff. Well, I'm originally from Okinawa, Japan, which is this tiny island at southern tip of Japan, and it's uh, subtropical, very warm, very small, great place to live, great place to grow up. Got to experience my Japanese upbringing and culture mixed with my American side of the family. I'm half Japanese, half American. Yeah, it's it's a very different take on Japan. Like I tell people. I'm from Japan. They, they have an image in their head, and I tell them, "Oh, actually, from this smaller island that's more akin to Hawaii than it is to mainland Japan." And it's, it's, it has its own culture. It's, it has its own language. It was a great place to grow up. And I always tell people who are visiting Japan, you should go to Okinawa. You'll have a great time. Amazing beaches and culture. And it's actually very easy to get around for tourists from America, too, because it's a lot of English speakers are there because of the military bases. There's a big American presence there, too. Yeah, it was, it was a great, it was awesome. I loved growing up in Japan and I was there until I turned 18, and I went to go to school in Baylor University. It's always fun meeting guests that are that have lived abroad in you know, other countries and just have a whole different take on everything, especially yeah. when I ask people the next question, which is your artistic experiences growing up, since you didn't grow up in the States, but you know you have an American it's, mom, so yeah, it's not like you're yeah. not getting American totally. influences. So I, I kind of had the best of both worlds, just because mm-hmm. like, I, I had that American side that loved giving me Disney movies and buying me these VHS tapes when I was a kid 
kid and I would watch all these incessantly. I would watch them every day. Like, I think my, my favorite films were, you know, the classic Disney films, The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and actually a lot of Don Bluth stuff I grew up on. And that came from my mom. And on the other side, I would watch a lot of anime growing up. I would watch Power Rangers. I would watch Pokemon. And it was a very big mix of different animation art that I just kind of grew up watching. And I loved I loved it all. We only had one channel growing up, one American channel. And it was AFN, the like, Armed Forces Network. My mom had left the military at the time. And so we didn't have cable. We didn't have all, we didn't have Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network. But we had one channel and every day after school from three to five were cartoons and every time every day I'd come home from school and I'd just turn on the TV and I would watch cartoons for two hours and then at five Jeopardy came on and then after that Real Fortune came on and then it was the news and then I would go and you know play my video games and, and go or go play outside I still played outside a little bit I'm, I'm happy to say yeah it was it was a great childhood it was, it was awesome and I at the time I never really drew I wasn't that kind of artist I appreciated all the, the animation I saw. I loved movies. I loved TV shows. But I never really discovered that side until I went off to college. I guess my plans changed after I went to college because at first I was wanting to, to study history. History and archaeology, those were my, in science, those were my favorite subjects in school. And when I picked a school, I picked a school based off of what their archaeology program was. Because I thought, I want, I want to be an archaeologist. Because I was like, oh, Indiana Jones. <laughs> I was about to ask you, it's like, so yeah, you, yeah, totally. so you wanted like it's... the whip and the hat, and you're like, all right, I'm ready. I mean, that <laughs> and... and... <laughs> And embarrassingly enough, Stargate was a big show that I grew Stargate up at. Was I'm like, it was an awesome, awesome show. show. Yeah. <laughs> but then you have Daniel Jackson, and he was like this archaeologist, this awesome archaeologist, and he had this. I mean, oh, of course, he had a gun. <laughs> he had this like, machine gun, and he'd go through a Stargate. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I want to be an archaeologist too. But I didn't connect the dots. I was like, oh, you want to make a TV show. You want to you be in the film business. Not You don't want to be an actual archaeologist. And that wasn't something I, I discovered until I went off to school. Yeah. I want to f- ask you more about this. So, how did you choose Bailey? And then how did you realize, oh wait, not archaeology, I want to be the person so, <laughs> filming and directing people who pretend to be archaeologists. It's funny just because like, I went to Baylor University, which is in Waco, Texas, kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was great. I don't want to badmouth Waco. It gets enough of that already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was an awesome school. I loved it so much and all the adventures I had there it was just great. The reason I picked that school in the beginning was because it was like one of only two schools that had a really comprehensive anthropology, archaeology curriculum. And And uh, the other one was in Indianapolis, I believe. It was the decision between six feet of snow and oppressive heat in the summer. (laughs) So so I came from Okinawa, so I was like, I'm okay with heat. I can handle heat. So I decided I wanted to go to Baylor. At first, I was provisionally accepted. It was was a pretty good school. and I wasn't the best high school student, I'm sorry to say, but... I applied to Baylor and I got accepted and then I had to go to summer school and then if I did well enough, I got to stay. So I did that, I got to stay and I enrolled in my first uh, anthropology class the next semester and I took one of my electives, which was this film class with one of my favorite professors, who was uh, Michael Corpy. And I think I had them the same day and I was literally falling asleep in my anthropology class. And then I go off to my, my new media class and I think the, the class opened to a reel of video games, TV shows, and movies, and he was just talking about all of this is the new media. It was the most like inspiring thing to me. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I was having so much fun in that class. It, would, it took me just maybe a semester, maybe two. Maybe I, I think I might have stuck with 
my anthropology major uh, for another semester, but I can't recall right now. But uh, <laughs> I had so much fun in that class, I eventually switched into to become like a film major at Baylor. Very cool. And so, you were, your focus was editing, right? It was editing and cinematography. Okay. And uh, it was a, definitely a general film class. Was, those were the two areas that I really had a lot of fun and I really focused on. I took the you know Final Cut classes. and This was right at the age that they were moving towards nonlinear editing software like Avid and Final Cut. Mm-hmm. And so they were getting rid of all their flat editors. So we were like the first generation to really start to learn this stuff at that school. Oh, that's cool. And uh, so it was, it was, I, I've always been kind of a, a computer geek. I, like, I enjoyed being on the computer and learning new software. So I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I look back on those days and they're super dated now. Like you had to bring your hard drive mm-hmm. and plug it into the, the, the computers and you had, you had all your material on this hard drive. And if anything happened to that, then you would lose all your film material. And you, you check cameras out of the equipment room and you had, the, you had these uh, HDV tapes which were you know state-of-the-art at the time, but this was way before recording to a hard drive. And basically the ease of filmmaking now is amazing <laughs> compared to where, what, what I had to learn with. And uh, it, we thought it was amazing at the time. But I mean, we would have to check out our equipment and our dolly tracks. We made short films. We would have to... Uh, I would spend all night editing my short film and uh, for our class and took screenwriting classes took a video game class which was also really great so it was just it was such a fun major and it just built my what i didn't realize was my love of film all this time i grew up watching movies over and over and over again like my favorite movies i, I watched probably hundreds of times i never really kind of connected the dots i was like i never thought i could actually work in movies until i took this class until i was at baylor and i discovered that it kind of developed from more of a documentary style way of filmmaking into just a love for movies in, in general and it through that i rediscovered my love of the animated classics that i grew up with and because i didn't draw because I wasn't that traditional artist, I never thought I could do that. And I couldn't do that. I can't do 2D art. But it was through this program that I kind of rediscovered animation and I discovered computer animation. And I realized that, oh, there's this whole other side that is very computer heavy, which is something that I'm pretty decent at. And it combined with my love of just film in general. And I was like, oh, I think I could maybe do this. That didn't come until a little later, though. We will get into that because yeah. there are there are many stories there. Yes, yes. So you go to Baylor. You had an internship in New York, right? Yeah. Yep. What was that? That's that was where was that, that was my senior year. Okay. So in the previous year, I actually went on a cross country bicycle trip. Oh, that's right. Wow. And uh, this was my was, I think yeah, it was my junior year, and I filmed it. I checked out cameras. I filmed in the school, and we basically recorded it in, in the style of a documentary. And it was from that experience that I got an internship with Maisel's Films in New York City. And I got to intern with one of the great documentary filmmakers, which is Albert Maisel's. He kind of invented the, the style of direct cinema documentaries where you're kind of a fly on the wall. You're just observing people going about their life and their, their job. And as opposed to the, like the Michael Moore style of documentary where the filmmaker is part of the film. And the, the contrasting philosophy is that you get a more accurate documentary by just being an observer as opposed to being a part of the film itself. But that's a completely different story. <laughs> so, so, but I, I was doing that and I had a second internship with the Travel Channel. And this was, I think, 2008. And I remember being somewhat disappointed with some of the, the animated films that were out around this time. And I was like, oh, I think DreamWorks was doing some of the, the best stuff at the time. And I was like, oh, this is DreamWorks and Pixar. But I never really discovered computer animation until I was working with the Travel Channel. And I passed somebody's desk and they were animating an intro 
sequence to one of their shows and it was a 3d sequence and they were animating this camera going through this car and it was all in 3d and i was like what is that so you can move the camera however you want that's so cool and uh, they were like oh yeah it's this program called maya and they all kind of walked me through the how it worked a little bit and it was only maybe a five minute conversation but i, I kind of stored that in the back of my head and then i i believe it was maybe a couple weeks after that disney released bolt at the time which was the first movie out of the yeah. rebirth era of mm-hmm. disney animation when john lasser came and kind of picked the studio up and they, they were really focusing on story and making great animation again and i was like oh this is awesome this is a really great movie and i was like oh wonder if i could maybe do this computer animation visual effects thing and i started looking up schools this was my senior my junior going to my senior year of, of college and i was like okay i think i might want to do this and i remember calling up my parents and i'm like you know after school i think i'm gonna want to do computer animation and i remember them being like a little confused at the time because i was like you never really drew you didn't draw <laughs> i was like you know what, why, what, what really what's going on it's like what, where's this coming from and i'm like is something about this really spoke to me and it was, it was kind of transformative i was like okay like there's something that i can do in this medium that i, I realized i could do so it was just one of those days you always have one of these days that, that you look back on and you don't really think much of it but it ends up changing your life basically yeah. so it was that kind of experience that i had and my love of film just extended it, it extends to all of film it extends from documentaries to live action and obviously back to animation and that's what I credit with making that jump from what I was doing, which was a documentary focus into uh, visual effects and animation. Okay. So. Wow, well, cool. so we have the Travel Channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have the Travel Channel. Thank you, Travel Channel. Yeah, totally, totally. You have to be open to moments of inspiration and that was definitely not the first time that that happened that happened over many times even as i went to art school even after i graduated which i graduated in during the recession so it was very difficult to find oh, yeah. work I at remember. the time <laughs> yeah we all did it was it was tough it was like nobody's yeah. hiring nobody i was like i thought maybe i'll be an editor maybe i'll work in you know documentaries but it was so hard to make a living that way and i, I thought i could maybe do visual effects it, it still didn't click that i could actually do animation itself or layout that all came later after other couple days of inspiration (laughs) but I made the jump I enrolled in Academy of Art in San Francisco figured out where I wanted to be which was in California somewhere and then I from there I decided to go to that art school and I started online and then for for about a year after school I stuck around in, in Texas for another year and just did online courses and then I moved out there and then it was from there that I was taking same thing happened that for my Baylor days I was a VFX student at first I thought I wanted I thought I could do like visual effects compositing and rigging and, and particle effects and I was in that program for maybe uh, one semester and I was doing a compositing class next to a 2D animation class and even though I could barely draw I was having way more fun in my 2D animation class than I was in my compositing class so one semester into my grad school I, I switched again he's like i think i could do this animation thing so i switched to to full 3d animation cool yeah so i want to ask you more about vfx because i remember you telling me this story of you were working on either a short or a commercial about i think it was a truck blowing up or oh. something and that was the thing that made you go no i yeah, don't that was, do it was, so it was an assignment that yeah it was that was the assignment was we had to film background plates and then we had to try and make something blow up and everybody wanted to do a michael bay shot <laughs> and i'm like why do you want to do a michael bay shot where something just explodes without reason
reason. And I was like, I was trying to storyboard like a story behind our assignment. So like, okay, maybe this happens and this is the reason that we our effects a shot exists and, and use that as a base for our assignment. But the other two people that I was assigned with, no, we just want to blow up a truck. So that was part of the reason that I switched was like, okay, when you work in visual effects, it's too late for story. You're basically hired to do just the best visual effects that you can. You have no effect on what it's for or why you're doing it. It's just make that truck blow up, make it look good. And that's what pushed me into animation was I had more control over what I was animating. The kind of story I wanted to tell or it's kind of shot I wanted to do. Because everybody at that program is that you have to make a full 3D animated short film from scratch basically. And you have to tell a story and it's a huge undertaking. It's massive. But I still would rather do that than just be a piece of something that I really had no control over what I was doing in visual effects. And also, I wasn't the best at visual effects. You weren't the best at making that truck. I was not the best at that, yeah. (laughs) And that's that's the thing, too. It's just you have to love what you're doing. You know, if, if you love it, and there's definitely people that love doing that kind of work and programming the explosions and the rendering and making it look awesome, having, you know, the light bloom when the explosion happens. Like, all these little details, I definitely see the appeal. And it's definitely something that come up as I developed as an artist and it kind of cycled back into layout and discovered previs and layout animation. So that was my story, Was my, my journey was from visual effects to animation. And from animation, I discovered layout and previs animation. So that's what happened next absolutely so. yeah and i have to say i remember when i met you in school you were one of the hardest working people i've ever met because not only were you taking classes at academy of art but you were also doing classes over at the animation collaborative yeah. and you were doing classes over at iAnimate, and you completely <laughs> ditched your original thesis film and you were yes. doing another thesis film which i think you completed in three months something I, completely yeah. ridiculous so after i switched animation and realizes this is the path I wanted to take. We had like kind of some subtle hints from some of my favorite professors at the school. I was like, you know, there's this new thing called the Animation Collaborative, but you really want to get good at animation. As beneficial as I found the Academy of Art at the time, kind of teaching me the ropes of animation, it wasn't specialized enough. You had maybe 30 people in this classroom, and it was hard to really get good at that particular craft. So you needed some extra help. You needed a place like the Animation Collaborative or iAnimate that really focused on the actual craft of animation. Because some of these classes at the Academy, they were just too broad. They were trying to teach you how to make an entire film. And they were trying to teach 30 people how to make their own film and it was it, it was hard to get good at that particular skill set so i ended up doing like animation collaborative and i just jumped in with both feet i did the animation collaborative did i animate and yeah it was six months before i graduated i scrapped my entire thesis yeah i remember wow. that you're just like uh, you're gonna do this other thing i'm like what and, are you doing yes. <laughs> It was pretty crazy, but like that's I, that was another just one of those impulsive days, one of those big days that you just kind of look back on and like, oh, I think it just comes from instincts. It just comes from what really speaks to you, you know. And at the time, I was having these issues with the previous thesis. It just wasn't coming together in the way that I needed. The issue that that program has is you have to do everything, or you have to find somebody that is really good at the stuff you can't do, like rigging, and you can only make do with what you can do or what you can get somebody else to do for you and it's very difficult to actually get quality assets to do your own short film so it's very hard to do that and to get really good at animating so part of the reason I, I started doing outside classes was to get those skills and also I took an online class which was iAnimate that had these really well built rigs and it was from those assets that I kind of came up with a new idea that I fell in love with and I knew that I could get out 
and running quickly and just focus on animation. And it was just one of those impulsive days that, yeah, I just had to do it. It's kind of explosive. It's like, sometimes you just know. And it's just, this is kind of this instinct that you, sometimes you just, this isn't working and you just have to try something else. And it's, it was, it was definitely scary. I was thinking, freaking out. And yeah. my, my professor was like, are you sure you really want to do this? But then I pitched him the story and I pitched him what I really wanted to do. And he was like, this isn't really good. So, and it was from this change that it was worth it. It built into something that helped get me to where I'm at now. It happened only a few years later, but from that thesis project, it's got me noticed. And it was very, it was something that I obsessed over and made as best as, as I could. I never finished it, but I didn't have to for what I wanted to become. What I had and what I developed over those few years of working on that project, it was enough for Disney to be interested in what I was working on. And that happened a couple of years later after my first job, or after right, right after school, which was working for a small game studio up in San Rafael. Yeah, and I remember, I'll never forget, I remember sitting at Starbucks yeah. and helping you board out different scenes. And then I remember you in the lab on one of the floors where nobody was working and you were rendering on 15 different computers yes. in the class yes. and getting everything together. And I just remember thinking, you're going to get a job because I don't know anybody else that's doing this. It's like you were doing all this and taking all these classes. And I was always curious, how did you manage your time? Because you're taking courses for school, you're working on your thesis, but you're also taking outside courses. Did you sleep or just... Oh, very no. little. Very little. <laughs> very little. Okay. <laughs> I was routinely in the lab until it closed. And I was really, I was one of the ones that were very upset that it wasn't a 24-hour lab. <laughs> if, if people have a 24-hour lab, definitely, you know, you're, you're lucky because we didn't. And but I think, honestly, that was a good thing because it forced people to go home. It forced you to go right. home and to sleep and to eat and to bathe and to just get away. <laughs> I can just imagine the scene if nobody left. Yeah, I, I mean, it was definitely difficult. It was definitely stressful, extremely stressful. It was also something that I was extremely passionate about. It's just that one of those moments of inspiration that you just have to work on. And if, you, if you're not working on it, you're still thinking about it. So in a way, you're still working. It's just you're not making progress towards it. So like it was something that I went to school for this reason, to learn animation, to try and become an animator or be in this industry. And that was my job. That was what I had signed up for. And I think the key is you have to be honest and figure out what your weaknesses are. Like, what do you need help with? And for me, it was definitely that. I was like, oh, I don't think I'm good enough to animate this character, which was this quadruped dog. And it's a very difficult thing to animate, especially if you're still learning animation and you're still trying to figure out how the software works and you're trying to figure out just how to, to do anything simple. This was a very complex kind of project. But it was something that the story was something I was passionate about. And that was my, over the course of my time in animation, that was when I started discovering layout. It was because everything that I wanted to animate that I really wanted to try and do for a shot, it was too short. It wasn't something that I was really passionate about because I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to tell any kind of story that was probably four or five shots or at least like one 30 second shot, which is too much to do. If you're trying to become an animator, you have to do these smaller shots that definitely you still want to tell a story, but they can't be very complex. 
and that's kind of where I started drifting into the layout was because through the camera, through cinematography, through my previous years in, at Baylor and in film school, I can mix for the first time my love of animation and my love of cinematography and editing and just straight up filmmaking. And I could come up with a profession that, that made sense to me and I could use all the skills that I love together at the same time. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. How do I do that? And uh, nobody had an answer. <laughs> nobody, I remember this. Nobody had an answer. I was like, because everybody glosses over layout. Layout is the kind of thing, oh, you, okay, you do your storyboards, then you animate. First, you have to do your layout. Like, even short films at the Academy, it was kind of like a stepping stone in between the big things like storyboarding and animation and final render. So it's hard to figure out, like, okay, how does a layout artist become a layout artist? And there's no layout class. There's nobody that that's the focus, and that's changing, thankfully. But it was difficult. And I remember having to, I would ask my teachers, I would ask, professors and mentors at the animation collaborative do you know anybody that does this and it, it took a lot of research to figure out okay what does a layout artist what's his responsibility and through that research i learned that this is what i wanted to do and the challenge for that was how do you demonstrate that how do you how does somebody who doesn't have layout on their reel get stuff for a demo reel together how do they even build a layout reel and that's the hard part is layout is dependent on having something that's finished like in the, and i guess something that's that's animated a sequence so that you can compare your layout to the final short film or final scene or at the very least showing layout and the storyboards that you made your layout from and that's difficult because you're still part of a system a bigger project and that was tough and I didn't figure out that answer to how to build that until my first job out of school which was working on video game cinematics doing a job like that that I got to develop the skill set and the resume and the reel to do what I always wanted to do to do what I wanted to do which was layout and previous yeah you worked really long hours at that previous job because I remember talking to you about it and just doing different cinematics and whatnot. So what can you tell us about that, like gaining that experience to then be able to go over to Disney? Coming out of school, it was definitely challenging. It took me a year to find my first job, or just about. It's very hard. Definitely not gonna not gonna sugarcoat it. It's, it's one of the most challenging times was how do you get that first break? How do you get that chance? And I remember just being so stressed out. Like, I, okay, I've finished school. You know, I don't really have uh, an animation reel. I have this kind of half done short film project that I, that got me my degree, but it's still, it's not a full short film. I can't quite use it as a layout test yet. So I remember just doing the best that I can to find something in Cinematics. I remember thinking like, okay, if I could just get my foot in the door with Previs or one of them, maybe a mobile game studio or something like that. I was still taking classes with the Amateur Collaborative. I was sending out my reel with my partly completed short film and <laughs> some of the animation tests that I, that I was able to do. And my first break was in Telltale Games. I was a cinematic artist up there for a couple of years and it was different. It was very different. They don't use Maya and I had to learn their own proprietary software. So it was, even though I could pull a lot from what I had learned and what I had developed, it was definitely a steep learning curve as far as how to use their tool sets and the way they, they like things. And it was, I, I remember being ecstatic when I first got that big break. I was just over the moon. I was like, this is it. Okay, I can finally do something in this industry, do something in 3D. And that was... That was exciting and I knew even though it wasn't really what I wanted to be ultimately it was still a great place to learn the craft and to develop both my cinematography skill sets and my editing and my style of cinematics. Can yeah. you say what games you worked on? Yeah, that's, yeah. You know that's a, okay. so, a game studio that's highly acclaimed. 
Yeah, so they did the Walking Dead mm-hmm. games, and the first game that I was really a part of was uh, Game of Thrones. I worked on their Game of Thrones game. I worked on Borderlands for a oh, little that bit. That was great. Yeah. So funny. The struggle there was just the pace that the games industry as a whole and that studio works was just so fast. I remember having to do like five minutes of cutscenes in a week and at the time you're not really thinking okay this isn't normal but I remember thinking like this could be better you know this this could do a little better job on this scene we just need a little bit more time on some of these games and their structure was kind of an episodic structure so these games would come out every few months so it was kind of constant crunch you're constantly pushing to the next deadline pushing to the next deadline and I was, I was told numerous times like oh it's good enough it's good enough you can send it but it was never very satisfying like it was never like okay this looks good enough to stand with our competition, you know. So I was always looking at, what are they doing? How could I do my stuff better and make it look like that? But the, the resources we had just weren't there. And it got to be a very stressful environment to kind of develop further. So I started looking at previous animation. And I looked and started looking at previous studios down here in L.A. And film was always something that I wanted to learn and to break into. And it took me about a couple of years. But I had enough up there to have one of the previous studios down here give me a shot. I'm really glad that you got your shot from Telltale. Because I remember you telling me stories that we, right, don't, we yeah. don't have to get into right now. But <laughs> so it's a really, dicey issue. Yeah, it's... It, you know, the thing thing that I'm very grateful for was how challenging it was. And I, would, I will always say that I worked the hardest in school. Even though Telltale was a difficult place to work, I, I spent all night animating. As you said, I kind of lived in the lab for months on end. But that was definitely it was something I wanted to do because I was working on my own art. I was trying to do my own story and my own project. I, I felt something for that I felt could get me to where I needed to be. And... It was a funny story that it was maybe a couple weeks before I started at Telltale. I think it was a workshop where the animators from Frozen came up and they did reel reviews uh, for everybody who went to the academy. Anybody who wanted to come and they would look at your reel and they would give you feedback. And they did this whole presentation of Frozen at the time at the, the Disney Family Museum. Oh yeah, I remember going Did you that. go to that? Yeah, I remember okay. going to that with you. <laughs> and uh, it was great. I remember going to that event and I brought my reel. And I, this, at this point, I knew I wanted to be able to I just didn't know how to do it. And I remember showing them what I had, and I was like, oh, this is pretty good animation. And I told him I, I wanted to find out more about layout. And he got me in touch with one of the layout leads at Disney Animation. And this is uh, Jason Figliosi, who's one of the lead animators on Frozen. I still have that book where you, you know, I wrote his email and his contact information. And I, I discovered it recently, and I was like, oh, it's Jason. And I, I showed him. <laughs> and like five years later, I was like, oh, this is the book that you signed. Uh, so that was cool. It was from that, that moment. It's just one of those crazy days that you look back on it. It was, it was a super important day. And uh, I got in touch with Terry Mose, and uh, he was one of his DP on Bolt. He was the DP on Paperman. He's one of the senior department leaders of the layout department. And it was just awesome because like, he was the first one to tell me about the apprentice program. This was, 20, this was back in 2013. So we corresponded a little bit, and that was kind of where that Disney story started, was that day, getting in touch and learning about this program. And I knew what I wanted to go for. It was that... Okay, this is the pro- this program exists. This is what we like. Good luck. That was, that was the kind of thing, yeah. So a couple weeks later, I started at Telltale Games. And definitely for the first year, it was 
you know, I considered it a, a dream job. It was awesome and learned so much. There's so many talented people there and it was, I don't want to take anything away from that. And it's, it's what they say is the strongest steel comes from the hottest fire. That was a very hot place to work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, from that, you build an instinct from working in the place that either if you have to do good animation real quick or you have to do cutscenes real quick you start building this instinct like okay i have one hour to do this what's my first instinct where do i put the camera how do i block these characters and what's an effective way to not just do that to tell that story or tell that scene but to try and be artistic with it too and that's where i really kind of honed that skill there's the skills that i've kind of i had roughly from my film school days but it wasn't developed until i got that experience working there and i got to figure out what i liked personally as a filmmaker what i was was really good at and what I was effective at translating into either their games or in my own animations and it was that experience that gave me the material and the skills that I needed to get off of a job in Previs and in Previs animation I got this was probably 2015 or 2016. I was still keeping tabs with the Disney Apprentice Program, which is a program that you can apply for three years out of school. So I graduated in 2013. I had until 2016 to get in. It was probably at one of the more difficult times at the game studio that I had put out feelers for this program. And I had sent them what I had. And I got I got a call back. I got an email like asking me to tell them a little bit more about what I was doing and that they liked what they were seeing and from my work on Game of Thrones and Tales from the Borderlands and so I kind of kept in touch with them a little bit. I also got in touch with some of the previous studios down here. I, really got, I talked to the third floor and Halon Entertainment. They're both really awesome high-end previous studios that are based out of Los Angeles and Santa Monica. Yeah, I got offered a chance to come down and work for them for a little bit. And it was kind of awesome because I got to go back to Maya. I got to go back to what I had studied for so long and got to develop and, and go back to animation and actually going back to what I knew. That was kind of the shift that I had. And it was after the winter of 2016, I got the news that the Disney apprenticeship was coming back and I had applied for it. And I got a message in that spring that they liked my work and that they passed my reel on to the leadership. But then it was shortly after that, that they had delays because this is 2016. They had both Zootopia and Moana going at the same time. So they were very busy. So the apprenticeship got delayed until the fall. So I was very thankful for the message and I kept in touch with the recruiter. Her name's Dory Welch. She was, she was awesome. Um. <laughs> so it was from that time to before I started at Disney, I worked at both Third Floor and Halon. I got the chance to shake the rust off of my series because I hadn't used it for two years. I was in a different, completely different engine. Completely, the only thing I could pull from was the skill set that I developed. That was kind of my journey up until that day when I started at Disney. And that concludes part one of my interview with Andy Nakasone. Special thanks to Andy for being an amazing guest. And you can check out his websites in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to leave a positive review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more people to find out about the show. And thank you so much to everyone who has sent in a positive review so far. We really appreciate them very much. And you can also support the show by visiting the website at www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donation button on the right-hand side. All of your donations help to pay for the technical costs associated with producing the podcast. And make sure to support our sponsors, 
Amazon, Audible, Loot Crate, and Blueberry podcast hosting. Every time you click on the banner ads and make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show. So thank you again to everyone who has left a positive review, a PayPal donation, or has supported one of our sponsors. We greatly appreciate it. And to find out what else is going on in the wonderful world of animation, make sure to visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And to see what I've been up to lately, you can visit my website at www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. And to see what Jeff has been up to, you can visit his website at www.jeffbot.com. That's J-E-F-B-O-T. On Tumblr, the site is jeffbot.tumblr.com. On Twitter, the handle is at jeffbot. And on Instagram, the handle is at shootzee. And that's S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E. So tune in next time for part two of my interview with Andy Nakasone. And until then, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Thank you.